Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucette, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, as we do every week, joined by another martial artist talking about their background, their story, their history, and, and what they're doing now and anything else that they're involved in with the martial arts and anything beyond that. My guest today is someone I, I first became aware of, and I believe it was 1991 or 1992. You guys have heard me talk about the Diamond Nationals karate tournament I used to go to and watch every year with some friends of mine watching my friends compete. And this gentleman, I believe it was 91 or 92, he was 14 years old as a competitor and just kind of blew me away and over the next few years saw him compete many times and uh, one of my favorite ones was seeing him dress up like Brandon Lee from The Crow and doing his musical forms competition. It was really cool but uh, he's been a, you know, a national competition champion. He's been on TV shows. He was even on the Broadway version of Mortal Kombat Live. So really excited to, to talk to my guest today. Please welcome to the show Carmichael Simon. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well, sir. Thank you for having me. It's quite the honor. Appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad you uh, were able to work it out. So kind of like we do with all my guests, let's go back to the beginning. I want to know where that, you know, first interest in martial arts, was it some kids, I guess they start when they're so young, it wasn't really their interest. Their parents just said, you're doing this, but kind of that, that beginning, what, uh, what, what was that first initial start with martial arts for you? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, for me, it was primarily, you know, there's different generation of social injustice I had to grow up in, <laughs> um, be, being small, short, and, uh, Filipino American, um, but with that, it always gravitated me to watch, you know, the, the normal Kung Fu theater and Shokazugi films. And, nice. you know, at the time was uh, wanting to be a ninja. Right. So, you know, I was four years old at the time and there was a local martial arts school, fortunately, that I was able to start my first journey uh, to my first black belt. And it was in Taekwondo. Uh, the school was called Atos Karate. And I was fortunate have an amazing master's name was mr uh, peter kokinos and he was a you know a phd from university of maryland and kinesiology and he's uh not only education contributed back to the you know university educational system but most importantly gave back to the community and was very fortunate to uh learn under his uh his tutelage wow so what was it about those those first few classes that made you think this is it this is what i'm sticking with i really want to do this I was very impressed with him. Um, he was, he, he used to do double front kicks and break boards. And I've always wanted to figure out how to fly. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and being young in the, uh, you know, early eighties, it was something that watching Kung Fu films and watching wire work out of Hong Kong, but seeing it up close and personal was something that I've always, you know, originally was attracted to. I, I think the, the self-confidence and self-discipline and, and, and obviously later the self, um, self-defense or self-protection aspect came into play. But martial arts to me has always been about visual movement and choreography and taking the art in itself uh, within the martial arts to, uh, to the next level. And 
that it's what that's what always has gravitated me to stay, continue to contribute to our communities and obviously build new industries for for our community. Oh, definitely. Now, of course, I mentioned at the beginning you got into competition. So that first school, were they a competition school? Was it a more sport taekwondo? Was it more traditional? Yeah, I would say more the latter, right? Very traditional ITF school. We did not do competition. And oh. I did not compete until I was a black belt. It was interesting because I did I did take class with adults. So I was part of an adult class. And I would say, you know, I was nine years old at the time, you know, junior black belt per se, but I was able to gain the the choreography and the philosophy um, way ahead of competition. But my first, my first competition was... Um, in Maryland. I'm born and raised in Annapolis, Maryland. And uh, it was Maryland, uh, Maryland tournament, as well as I competed at the Capital Classics, which is one of the national tournaments um, in 1986. And that was my preview to what national competition was like. And I would say that's where I saw my first living legends, my heroes, okay. as you would say, you know, I saw the first my demo that I recall was Billy Blanks doing a, a fight scene with Ernie Reyes Jr. and Ernie Reyes Sr. And I was able to see, nice. you know, the future of Grandmaster June Ree and Charlie Lee and John Chung and the whole lineage of East Coast and West Coast based martial arts competitors. And that really opened my eyes uh, to a new journey for myself. And uh, that's what I wanted to do since, per se, nine years old, as I saw my first competition. So that was a, that was what drew you to your first competition was just was seeing one because I like a lot of people. It's different for everyone. I, like myself, I was never into competition. I loved watching it, but never had interest in competing. What was it about competition that drew you to it to make you want to actually get up there and do it? Yes, it was the the nighttime show. You know, you were able to see the best of the best. You were able to see the next generation of uh, up and coming. Uh, competitors, as well as the the passing of the torch, as I would say, uh, from the legends to the new heroes, and you know, being able to grace a stage, it's it's a it's a privilege. Um, mm-hmm. I always felt that you know, competition at its rawest form puts you in, in in situations that you step into it as fear, but you come out of it as faith, and that's what it's always taught me. And I was a quiet kid, uh, similar and did not speak very much. So it gave me the confidence to be able to public speak and to be able to present myself, not only through movement, but uh, visually, as well as be able to uh, public speak to, to help communities uh, with, with martial arts as a lifestyle. So I always wanted to ask you with, with, you know, watching you compete those few years at the Diamond Nationals and seeing videos of you, obviously your, some of your forms competitions involved a lot of flips and acrobatics. Now, did you ever do gymnastics or was that all part of your martial arts training? Yeah. So minimal gymnastics, okay. it wasn't to a competitive level. I mean, I think I barely did giants on a high bar and barely did a back tuck or a back handspring. Okay. But my, I was very fortunate to have very great sports and conditioning coaches within sport competition, which is a master of Francis Panita. Um, he's a part of the Junior Institute. And working through curriculum and choreography with Charlie Lee, I was able to, as they would say, flash this trash without basics. So the basics that we would drill over and over again uh, became very innate to my body dynamics. But it gave me enough courage as well as enough strength to be able you know, to perform um, high degree of difficulty techniques. And, you know, anything you can do on the ground, you should be able to do in the air. And, you know, being a Taekwondo practitioner, 
they'll always tell you, you know, your hands should be, or your feet should be as fast as your hands. So it was just more of that philosophical mindset to be able to translate that from the ground to the air and having the philosophy and growing up with Grandmaster Junior Lee, the seven qualities of a champion, power, posture, quickness, timing, endurance, flexibility, and balance has very, uh, has very much been a, you know, our elements that I live by every day and elements that, you know, has always carried with me, not only as a performer, but as a, you know, humanitarian. Okay. So now myself coming from a more traditional background, all the competitions, the more so the ones I'm used to, you know, people are competing in traditional form. There's no music. It's all a specific form. Now the ones you did were a little more artistic ones. Now were those ones you created or were those set forms or, I mean, how, how did that kind of work out? Did you choreograph a lot of that yourself? Uh, yes. So I would say the traditional aspects of martial arts, I did learn, right? Grandmaster created his own curriculum of martial arts ballet, which is musical forms to our national anthems. God bless America, Star Spangled Banner. He also did Exodus wow. and Beethoven. So we were able to, you know, I would say a the New Testament, of <laughs> sport, you know, of, of really creative forms. And that creativity allowed us to develop and create high level maneuvers. You know, I was fortunate as well during my time as a competitor, also do soft style. Uh, so I'm also a Northern and Southern Shaolin practitioner, as well as a Wushu practitioner. So okay. being able to fuse hard style and soft style plus musical forms has always been something that has intrigued me. And I always felt as being able to use your body as a visual instrument is what I've always used martial arts to, as, as a tool. For me, as a tool, as a performer, um, obviously there's the other aspect of it of, you know, mixed martial arts or traditional based martial arts that I always stay grounded to. However, my passion has always been to create. I remember the first time I had never seen that before in my life. And my first time at the Diamond Nationals in 91, I was kind of blown away <laughs> seeing that up there. And oh, yeah. yeah, it's def definitely fun to watch and, and brings the crowd to their feet. So definitely entertaining. And that's kind of what you're going for, I think. And so. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was during a time, if you don't mind, it was during a time when this was the first generation of kids mm -hmm. on the stage. You know, we're going from 1980s when it was professional kickboxing, PKA mm -hmm. on television. It was kids only had the opportunity to do demonstrations, i.e. Ernie Reyes Jr., i.e. sidekicks, right? There was only yep. per se one, right? <laughs> and that one became the opportunity for a new, uh, a new breed of kids to be able to grace the stage. And we were fortunate enough to go from, you know, in the 90s from PKL, which was Professional Karate League, uh, to NASCA, North American Sport Karate Association, which provided a platform for the youth to uh, showcase their skills. I guess I didn't realize that in the 80s, they didn't really have that opportunity to compete like that. So good to know. I learned something new today. <laughs> you actually kind of answered one of my other questions when you when you talked about, so what other styles have you trained in? You know, you mentioned your first was Taekwondo. How long did you stay at that first school uh, before you started um, branching out and going to other schools for training? It was about five years um, from four years old to nine. And then I received my first uh, black belt in Taekwondo and ITF. And then when I went through my competition, I saw other styles and I ended up doing uh, Northern Shaolin uh, from a master. His name is Anthony Go out of Baltimore, Maryland, and started uh, my Northern Shaolin journey of learning curriculum and um, for the broadsword of all things which I carried with me, you know, the majority of my competition career. But with that, it, it opened up other doors for me to meet other coaches through competition, Northern, Southern Shaolin, Hungar, Chole Fut. And then, it, you know, using having a, the desire to do acrobatics 
led me to to Wushu and Wushu curriculum. And that's where I had the opportunity in my early teens as a competitor to, to, to do both and uh, showcase that and fuse it um, as a heart, as half heart style, half soft style based performances, which um, it, it did change, you know, the dynamics of choreography for sport karate. And that's where the blueprint of what you still see now in modern day sport karate or sport martial artists still uses the same blueprints of the four sections of a performance and um, strong hand sections, a big tricking or accurate kicking pass, a, a third section, a diagonal pass uh, to be able to do a big trick or a flip and ending with a, a solid hand section and a jump kick pattern. And that's, you know, that, that has been utilized over the last, you know, 20, 25 years. So it, it's definitely helped grow and it, it's helped opportunities for others who, who may not want the traditional path. The, I would call it the futile path, uh, but more of a creative performance path of their martial arts journey. I, I remember reading that you were the, the first person to land a 720-degree kick in competition. I also saw the video. I think it was, it was it might have been Battle of Atlanta, you and John Valera having yes. like a 720 competition, which was kind of cool. Talk, huh. talk a little bit about that. That was kind of cool. Yeah, so interesting. Uh, 1994, 720. Um, it was at the battle at the nighttime show. And that was actually a night where WMAC masters uh, was being formally shared with our industry. Um, they were, we were fortunate to be working with Pat Johnson at the time. And I was given my contract and my character of kid Carmichael. So, you know, I, I knew coming into the competition that um, I was being selected for a new upcoming TV show. Mm-hmm. And uh, the producers were there and the choreographer, obviously, Pat Johnson was there. And I just wanted to really highlight my skills. And I was fortunate enough to throw the 720. I didn't really practice it prior the week of the competition. It was just something that I I had in my back pocket that I knew if I had the opportunity to throw it at the right time. You know, hopefully everything aligns and uh, (laughs) it actually (laughs) did. And I landed on my feet. Nice. And the rest is it. Kind of like the, the Tony Hawk of sport karate there, huh? <laughs> Something like that. You know, it's pre-internet, right? So the oh, yeah. visuals, the visuals is, you know, you have to just dream it. You have to dream and visualize it. You know, it, it's not something that was readily seen at the time. So I think the best that I was able to see was probably a Jackie Chan film, but with wires, right? right? So that is sort of, like I said, when, when, when fear comes to faith and, and you throw the kick and you rotate, Hopefully you don't black out because of the lights, <laughs> the spotlights on you. And it just so happened that I was able to land, fortunately, and uh, became a, you know, became a standard. And, uh, you know, the predecessor to that 720 is Stephen Ho and George Chung, who, who brought up the first 540. Right. I remember Stephen Ho doing the 540, which is actually an inside one legged inside crescent kick for Wushu. But it was done in such a artistic way as a Taekwondo kick, not as a crescent kick, but more of a roundhouse kick that uh, bringing that into the circuit in 1990 really also changed the game for us to be able to take flight, as they would say. So now I know, you know, thinking back to that time, I mean, the early 90s to the mid 90s, a lot of those competitors you were competing alongside of and against, a lot of them ended up on TV and movies. There are people there from the Ninja Turtles movies, the Mortal Kombat movies. And as you mentioned yourself, I know I've talked about with another previous guest Herb Perez, WMAC Masters. So yes. those competitions led to a lot of that, which is for a lot of many martial artists, which is, you know, some great exposure. Just talk a little bit about how did, you know, how did they approach you? I'm assuming it they obviously saw you competing or did someone recommend you? 
Yeah, it was, you know, for me, Mark, the, the, the competition platform being part of the Junery system was something that was already part of our lineage. Um, obviously, Grandmastery and Ed Parker in the 60s and 70s, you know, Grandmastery had the Junery Invitationals or Internationals and then the Long Beach uh, Invitationals in California. Mm-hmm. So competitions were prevalent at a fighting level. Um, so I was always around competition as a teenager because I was part of the association. But I would say discovery was based on the competitors, right? I was able to see Ho Sung Pak, um, who played Liu Kang in the video game. He played Raphael or Stephen Ho, my godfather, is, you know, Ninja Turtles and Mortal Kombat as well and Ernie Jr. So we were, you know, I don't know if you knew this, but, you know, the, the West Coast Association, Quajinam Ernie Sr., is an eighth degree black belt uh, from Grandmaster June Ray. So the lineage is really tight. Our okay. associations and organizations are very tight, uh, a, to- a tightly knit. But it was more of, I would also say, the platform was provided. However, if you recall that time is, you know, there was no internet and it was hard to get a phone number, right? It, there's no cell phone, right? <laughs> yep. long, t- long distance car, trying to, you know, calling cards per se. It was still rotary phones and maybe a cordless phone at the time. You know, you, you had to seek your master's. And I think that's what made it so fun was, you know, I grew up also skateboarding. I remember a movie called Bones Brigade, The Search yes. for Animal Chin. Yep. And, yep. you know, and I remember them seeking Animal Chin, even though there was, you never really saw that Animal Chin was that half pipe, right? The mega pipe. But, mm-hmm. you know, it was the fact that going to a martial arts tournament, like I said at the beginning, when I first saw my heroes in 86, I did not know I would continue to seek them out through the rest of my life as my mentors. And that was the most beautiful part about this journey of martial arts was the ability to seek out your masters. And I think that's something I hope this generation, you know, this new YZ generation has the opportunity is to go back and, and respect those, that lineage, those leg- that legacy and the legends and really seek the masters because they have the knowledge and the wisdom. You know, it's not just about data and information moving to the internet and watching tricks all day and, you know, watching choreography or doing stunts or doing the best martial arts form. It's, it's these type of opportunities that I'm having with you right now is the knowledge, understanding and, and seeking that wisdom from those masters. Oh, definitely. In this day and age, it's so much easier to seek people out and, and find people and, and share knowledge, which is a wonderful thing. Yes. And that's what I, you know, that's what I learned through the process, but yeah, it was a very close knit competition circuit. It still is, you know, you still have your top 100 competitors who travel the country yep. and maybe out of that 10%, the top 10 grace the stage and they shift the industry. Right. But you, you know, you have your locals, you know, your two to 3000 other competitors who get the opportunity to, you know, share this talent and, 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 it, you know, it's still bureaucratic. <laughs> it's still politics. Ultimately it's still a business. Right. Um, however, there is uh, they've done a great job with the model to, to have uh, the ability for up and coming martial artists to have hope. Right. You, you would never see in, you know, was it bloom? I guess it would be Bloomington. Wait, Minnesota? Is that correct? St. Paul, right? <laughs> yep. it's like, you know, a small a kid from Annapolis, Maryland, going to Bloomington to be able to share, right? You would think of it, oh, I, I, someone from LA traveling to New York City, right? But that was the that was the funnest part about competition is to be able to to show your talent at other places around the country, and even you know, small. I wouldn't call it small towns, but people had the ability from other metropolitan regions to see some of the best talent from different parts of the country. Right. I, and I remember that's my first time eating a TGI Friday. <laughs> nice. That's like, that was like my, as a kid, 
competition was great, but going to TGI Fridays. So we didn't have them on the East Coast at the time. Okay. So I always liked eating. I think it was at, I think the tournament was at the Double Tree, from what I recall, or the Radisson or something. I think the, um, the, the ones I remember were at the Radisson, and they mid mid two thousands they moved them to um, downtown Minneapolis for a while, and then the one I okay. saw was back in Bloomington, and now this year's I think is back in downtown. So they kind of move okay. move them depending. I guess the question is: Is that TGI Friday is still there? <laughs> It probably is. I know. I used to go to. The, <laughs> okay. I used. I used to go to the Fuddruckers that was near there myself. I loved Fuddruckers. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, funny. That's awesome. See, and that, that's nostalgic stories you remember, right? As a as a teen, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Actually, the the funniest story I remember the first time we went to the Diamond Nationals, me and a bunch of friends went down. Well, we went the first year we went. We just went for the Saturday, and the next year we're like, we want to come the Friday night. We want to go to some of the seminars and stuff. And we didn't even think, we didn't know any better. We were like all 16, 17 years old. We drove down yeah. you know, an hour and a half to the to the Twin Cities and didn't realize you can't get a hotel when you're that young. <laughs> so oh. they wouldn't give, we had reservations, but they wouldn't give us room. So we slept in the lobby of the hotel <laughs> oh, wow. and then okay. got up and went to the competition the next day and went and cheered on our friends. So. That's awesome. That's so, awesome. So a little bit about so WMAC Masters, that was kind of your first uh, intro into Hollywood. Um, and that kind of led to a few more things. You did some stunts and stuff. What was it about that kind of drew you to that and drew you to the to the big screen or the little screen in, in Hollywood? What did you enjoy about yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's sort of a natural, it's a, it's a natural progression, right? As, a, as one who performs on the stage, either you're continuing to do live performances or you're, you know, putting your talent on screen. So it was, it was a natural, and it was still new at the time, right? So a lot of, you know, sport karate isn't what it is now with regards to how they hire stunts. So typically now, a lot of the stunt coordinators are looking for specific athletes who do sport karate. But back then, it was much different. So for me, it was just natural progression. I was able to obviously be mentored by Stephen Ho and Ernie Jr., uh, through the likings of Pat Johnson. So I did, you know, was able to see and understand set etiquette, uh, work with amazing, you know, amazing talent in WMSC Masters. And um, it was just a great, you know, like I said, a great opportunity to be able to document a moment in time, you know, for myself. And, um, you know, at the same time, as you know, was, you know, UFC was just on the rise, right? So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it was not a, a natural progression for sport karate fighter, like a Raymond Daniels now. Right. Right. Um, who at that time point fighting was much different and that to be able to cross over into MMA was obviously unheard of because of Boyce Gracie. Right. It was more about, you know, submission and, and the grappling piece of it. So, you know, I think we've all, we've all evolved from that mid nineties to the early two thousands timeframe. Oh, definitely. And, um, you know, and obviously that's, you know, obviously the athletes train much, much differently now. Right. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, growing up in a traditional martial arts background as well, it's, you know, I didn't know what it's interesting when I hear yoga now or CrossFit now, because those are the same techniques we would use in martial arts class. Like we would do basic meditation. We would do stretching. We, you know, we would do plyometrics and isometrics and we would work reforms. And it's interesting now to know that there's other brands that they all come from martial arts disciplines. Right. So one thing I want to touch on just a little bit, I also mentioned at the beginning, you were part of the, the Broadway's live tour of Mortal Kombat. Just talk a little bit about that. I know it did a, I think it was like a 200 city tour in 1996. A little bit about that experience. Yeah. So right after WMAC, Pat Johnson had the opportunity, obviously he's also the coordinator for Mortal Kombat to, to put the, the show on tour. 
And uh, we had the opportunity, and I'll just say Hakeem and I again, because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Hakeem and I come from the same area, but uh, the DMV, he's from Virginia, I'm from Maryland. And it was interesting because we had an opportunity to continue to work together. And there, you know, the opportunity was him to play Jacks and myself to play Luke Kane. And uh, we did, you know, like you said, we, we traveled the country and it was great because I was able to live on a tour bus for a year and really fast track life to see what it was like, you know, in different cities and different towns and, you know, eat Waffle House and Crackle Barrel literally every day nice. between towns nice. and uh, living up per diem. And I was 18 at the time and, you know, I was still trying to understand, you know, what, uh, you know, it was a lot of motivation uh, with regards to my talent and a lot of encouragement, uh, which led me to, you know, continuing to, 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 to perform. And it was nice meeting families. It was great meeting kids, upcoming kids who, who are doing martial arts. And like I said, it, it gave hope and there was a brand that was attached to us. So uh, being able to open up Rio City Music Hall for eight or nine shows was uh, probably one of the most amazing experiences that I've ever had. We did, um, you know, a couple of shows on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then uh, was on a tour bus all the way to LA Forum. And that was another highlight of the WMAC Masters was, you know, doing a halftime show for the Lakers at the Forum at the time. And, you know, we met a lot of great martial artists, different, different martial artists, more stage combat-based martial artists, not film-based, mm-hmm. but it, it allowed me to be able to transition between the opportunities and get perspective of the difference between a live show versus a you know a film like wmc so that really opened my eyes at a young age and um you know it was uh just a great experience overall that's really cool so what uh, what age did you start teaching at actually i started teaching at age about 16 15 16 years old okay i did and it was interesting because i did i I heard about the philosophy that once you start teaching your 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 martial arts personally will get better Mm -hmm. because you know when you provide constructive criticism to a student as a teacher per se um you always think about that that message you give to them so you feel as though that you you have you're empowered to make sure that you present that and not make the same mistakes. And I think that was one of the greatest things that I learned at a young age was to teach. Um, I do have, you know, one of my first student, his name was Lau Beniga. And, you know, he was an amazing, amazing competitor, an amazing student. And um, the most important thing was he was coachable. Um, now he's one of the, he is, I would say, the top dance choreographers in LA. Wow. Um, he, he dances for the Jabberwockies and he dances for the Kinjas and, you know, he does other collaboration efforts with other dancers. And, you know, that's all I would say attributed to the discipline and the choreography and the coordination, the commitment of martial arts. I learned a lot from him. Actually, I think I learned more from him teaching him, than, <laughs> you know, than him, you know, carrying on his, his, his destiny. Well, that's, that's the way it's supposed to be, I think. So, so now you've been teaching now probably over 30 years. What do you think's changed about your teaching style over the years? Um, the application of it, um, I would say more of the two parts is to study the blueprint for one, understand the architecture and the framework. And then two is the holistic application of the seven qualities of a champion that I, I noted, the power, posture, quickness, timing, endurance, flexibility, balance. And I say that because we look, we, you know, there's so many quote unquote systems out there 
that's holistically still called martial arts. Mm -hmm. And the opportunity to do martial arts is to learn all styles and or contribute to all styles. And that is where, you know, once, you know, one has understood enough of the base foundation, you know, two or three different styles, they eventually they will create for them their own. And that's the most important piece is that creative or that spiritual freedom uh, to be able to do for yourself and to be able to share that with others. So talk a little bit about uh, martial athletes. Your, your oh, yes. project. Yes, absolutely. So Marsha Athletes is actually interesting enough. It's it's um, it's a facility that we have out here in uh, Austin, Texas, and it is actually what it means is using the philosophies of martial arts to develop athletes. So myself and uh, Master Chad Cannon, he's also one of the, the, the teachers at Marsha Athletes um, is we're, we're here to provide the athletic part of the coordination the, the plyometrics and the, the physical aspects of martial arts and, and utilize that through, um, you know, an athletic form that could be translated to, you know, baseball or to dance or to football. Right. Okay. And I think that's where, you know, I believe martial arts has given myself so much that there's a lot of opportunities just for martial arts or martial artists to give back to other you know, sectors of athletic communities. And that, that's why we have that, that facility. Um, we have evolved. It's called Master Institute now. Um, Master Institute is actually a part of our STEM-based program. Uh, Master actually stands for Math, Art, Science, Technology, Engineering, and Reading. So what we do is we do a, a whole comprehensive program around these elements, uh, utilizing martial arts movements, martial arts philosophy, martial arts reading, how do you engineer the body, how do you use sensors and technology for martial arts, how do you use the seven qualities of a champion, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. Sounds like a pretty cool project you got going there. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's, it's what, you know, it's, it's the, you know, like I said, it's the framework. It's, 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 you know, one can, can learn martial arts at a traditional level and, you know, you know, how do you make this a lifelong journey like we have? And some people still need a framework or a model. You know, my background after stunts was, you know, I, I'm a, an architect, a solutions architect by trade. So, you know, building multiple systems is not just about the Microsoft system or the Oracle system or database. You know, it's also the, the Cisco networking. And it's mm -hmm. also, you know, the uh, Palo Alto firewalls. And it, you know, there's so much databases and systems. You know, it's not about just those independent identities and brands. It's how do you develop the solution? And that's what we are, you know, obviously providing here in our area is the solution is you can learn multiple systems and be efficient as a subject matter expert into that system. But you need multiple systems to integrate to be able to provide a solution. And that's what we're doing here with martial arts Wonderful. and athletics. I will definitely put a link for that on our show notes for sure. So um, I'm curious now, with all your years of martial arts and you've, you've learned multiple styles. So if someone asks you, what style do you study or what style do you teach? What, what, what is your answer for that? Shaolin Groove. Shaolin Groove. Okay. That's a Shaolin Groove. There we go. That's nice. All right. So I also, as um, you know, I had the opportunity once I left the East Coast after my degree was to work for Cisco Systems, which also brought me to the Bay Area of California, Santa Clara, San Jose. Mm -hmm. So I spent time in the early 2000s dancing and doing freestyle dance choreography in Oakland, California, 
with a well-renowned dance group called Housing Authority and uh, the Architects. And, you know, they taught me freestyle dance. They taught me how to count. They taught me visual movements. And they, you know, they were very much inspired by Bruce Lee. You know, Bruce Lee is from Oakland, Mm -hmm. San Francisco, California, right? So, you know, there is still a, a very much a Kung Fu background in the Bay Area. And, you know, I learned not only from them, but also Loop Kicks. Uh, Loop Kicks is a a team from the West Coast demo team. And they are the ones that uh, I would really say not just pioneered, but expanded tricking, martial arts tricking to what we know of is now. And being able to fuse those two movements, tricking, dance, and your traditional martial arts or martial arts ballet, as Grandmaster E would call it, is what Shaolin Groove is, is... uh, being able to translate martial arts, its movements, and its uh, amazing disciplines to music, and that's where that's you know that's where you see you know the likeness of a Justin Timberlake or a, a Justin Bieber, or you know stage show performers using martial artists on on um, you know on their stage shows. Let alone when you watch a movie like John Wick, mm-hmm. you know a lot of that stuff is now counted and timed. It's not just one, two, three, right? It's one, two, three, and four, right? So they they're doing a lot more timing of techniques. Uh, which also overlays with the music that you hear acoustically when watching a, a fight scene. So that is really the style that I would, you know, hold dear to myself is that Shaolin and the groove because the Shaolin comes from, you know, all movements for the Shaolin temple, even break dancers and B-boys and hip hop. <laughs> they, they're break dancer. They were influenced by the Shaolin. Okay. Right. And the groove is, you know, your, your basic eight count. Nice. That's a great answer. Someone approaches you and said, I'm, I'm thinking of getting involved in martial arts, either for myself or my child, whether it's for an adult or a kid. What, just, what are some, some advice or some tips you'd give them what to look for in a school and what to, what to maybe watch out for in a school or an instructor? No, absolutely. I think first and foremost, it's, you know, you have to seek, like I said, seek the master first and foremost. That's the most, you know, that's one of the most important things is to do your research. You know, the style you know, I would always prefer Taekwondo because it's a very technical based style. Mm-hmm. However, if that is not the ability, you know, local per se, or the convenience of it is to find a, an instructor who really deals with um, not just life skills, but commitment, confidence, and, you know, making sure things are really maintaining accountability. I always looked at martial arts, even as a young kid, is the commitment is actually the parent. Because the parent is the one who is actually paying for the, the right. lesson, as yeah. well as bringing the child to the school. So that's the most, I would say that's the most important thing is the rapport with the parents to know that there is that quote unquote aunt or uncle who uses martial arts to reinforce the ethics in the home, okay. right? The kicking and punching will come later. Um, however, it really comes down to that relationship and the rapport with the family and, and, and the, and the, you know, the master instructor. And sometimes it's a program, you know, the program director or the other head instructors there, but as a community, they're all responsible for the, the child's upbringing because it, you know, it takes a village. Definitely. So this is a question I haven't asked a lot of my guests yet, but I, every now and then I think of it, but do you think the U S will ever see martial arts integrated into our school system? I would love it. You know, Grandmaster, he tried, you know, he did uh, the Joy of Discipline program in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. uh, you know, or, or Chuck Norris here in Texas yep. with Big yep. Start, right? You know, it is quite interesting. It, I hope they do. I do know, given our current state 
in our society, you know, there are schools that are providing PE credits and the opportunity for these kids to do martial arts oh. is at least a step forward nice. to get PE credits to do martial arts, which is great. You know, there's always still a stigma between media and, you know, what is being provided in the community because, you know, it's not all about fighting. But it's also the educational system, once again, as you know, you know, um, lobbying, liability, you know, and such. Right. But I also believe that is where the performance aspect, quote unquote, Shaolin Groove has that opportunity is, you know, how do you create this as a function of a, um, you know, as a team sport? Um, how do you do this as a performance style with the opportunity to fight, yeah. not the opportunity to fight first? Uh, because we are, we come from a different, uh, different generation when it was, you know, when it was Korean war and Vietnam war and Japan, right. We, we came from a generation, which we were very much influenced in the eighties, in the nineties, post post-war. Right. And now that, that came down to, you know, combat, right. These last couple of decades has been more about performance. And I, I, I hope, you know, that's where it gravitates because YouTube is very accessible and, you know, it allows others to create for themselves. And, you know, hopefully in time, if it's not directly in the school system, that there is schools out there that are able to work with the the board of their school districts to be able to provide school credits for. I hope so, man. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to. I'm hoping I see it in my lifetime. We'll see. So absolutely. So now you started in a, in a traditional martial arts background. You moved into competition. I'm just curious, your thoughts on, on MMA, the UFC Oh, it's great. I mean, I, I enjoy it as a fan. You know, okay. I, I think I'm at the point in my life that, uh, you know, being a fan and being able to watch it from afar is great because I, I can understand just learning multiple styles of movements that these individuals are learning multiple styles of discipline and they are getting fed different influences from different traditional styles. And they have to comprehend not only from their independent grappling coach, wrestling coach, strike coach, Muay Thai coach, as well as just regular sports conditioning coaches, that they have a lot of things that they have to disseminate and discern for themselves to be able to put themselves to get hit. Right. You know, they are signing up to get hit. And the most important thing is to know that they are they feel protected. And that protection really comes with the, the level of training that they feel confident enough to step into that ring. And I'm not saying that all fighters go in there without being nervous. I hope they're all nervous because it is a war of skill set. Um, I think it's gone far beyond just the physical. I think it's becoming now more of a spiritual fight because you have to deal with mindset and you have to deal with how are you going to recover your body after even or even before the fight. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the most important challenge of endurance is knowing that there is recovery that needs to happen. And that could be physical trauma, mental trauma. You know, it, it, it's a very tough sport and I have to, I have to respect it for the athletes that they are. So have you, uh, over the last 20 some years, have you ever tempted uh, to throw your hat in the cage and give it a shot? I have not. Okay. <laughs> I have not. No, I, <laughs> just a fan. Like I, 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 I'm just a fan. And I, I made that choice decades ago. <laughs> that's good though. That's, it's not for everybody. That's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So if you had to pick one martial artist to put at the top of your list for just that you truly admire, is it, can you, can you pick just one and then who would you put up there? And it doesn't have to be someone you've trained with specifically. You know, a lot of, a lot of people have picked Bruce Lee. If you had to pick one to put on the top of your list. May I pick two? No, definitely. <laughs> okay. We're flexible. I'm going to, yes. I'm, I'm going to, Ernie Reyes Jr. Right. Yes. I, um, I, Ernie Reyes is the top of my list. 
simply because during the time when I saw sidekicks, that that's what I could relate to. He show. made it possible for me as a Filipino American to see somebody in my likeness that, you know, that, that I could somewhat believe in and be able to know that my martial arts skills could be translated, uh, let alone not only performance, but also in film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even to this day, very, very close friend, one of my best friends. And the fact that I have still have the ability to talk to him and to have really deep conversations about life, about strategy of, of our industry, or let alone just simple, you know, brotherhood is, um, you know, is amazing because I would never thought when I was uh, whatever, six, seven years old, per se, I don't even know when <laughs> watching him on on, on TV was this was somebody that was going to, you know, be close to me for the majority of my life. You know, I'm, I'm you know, I've known him since 1990, wow. you know, so it's, uh, you know, and that's, that's us sitting at the bow of Atlanta dreaming about tricking, <laughs> that's you cool. know, and that's before, before tricking was tricking, you know, this was, you know, we were talking about the 720 four years before the 720 happened. Okay. Right. So, and that was something that I've always held on to and cherished and still cherish the conversations we have today. Uh, I would say the second most importantly is Grandmaster June Ray, you know, okay. the inventor of safety equipment. Then, you know, the one who developed the business systems for martial arts, the one that has told me, you know, being one of the last masters under his association is always stay passionate about martial arts ballet. You know, he, he evolved in the martial arts and everybody has able, was able to see him evolve from hosting tournaments to, you know, going to Russia and unite, you know, uniting Russia with Korea and United States. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know the story, but I'll just quickly no. share is, you know, I was one of the chosen few to go to Russia with him in uh, 1994 to perform with him when the, obviously the collapse of, of communism. So we brought Junior Martial Arts Ballet and it was he and I who traveled for, you know, a good week or two in Russia and um, opened up the 65 martial arts schools there wow. uh, to allow, you know, you know, martial arts to the, the new free world of, you know, of, of the Soviet, former Soviet. That's so cool. it's really, it was really great. And he was a great um, ambassador uh, to martial arts education wise. And obviously the stories about him with, you know, Bruce Lee and Muhammad Ali are all true. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but it's also the, the parts where people, where people don't speak about him was his kindness, his generosity. And the fact that all he wanted to do is to make sure martial arts was global because martial arts never deals with racism. It didn't deal with anybody's orientation. It doesn't deal with any type of, you know, specific creed, you know, and everybody walked into the martial arts school and it didn't matter what your orientation was or what your belief system was or what your values were. We all stepped in the school with the same gi, same different color belts, but we bowed the same way and we respected the, the knowledge and the wisdom that we were given and we all worked out together. And that's what it was always about the unification through martial arts. That's great. Two great, two wonderful answers. That's, that's cool. And I do have to mention, you you mentioned sidekicks, obviously one of my favorite shows from my childhood. I'm really hoping because Disney owns that. So I'm hoping that'll show up on Disney plus one of these days. I'd love to, re- <laughs> I'd love to rewatch that series. Again. I found like grainy videos on YouTube, but I'd love to rewatch that series. 
Oh, absolutely. That's yeah, such a great show. Oh, loved it. So now if you had to pick one philosophy you learned from martial arts that kind of stands at the top of your list that you keep coming back to, is there one that stands out? Flash is trash without basics. Nice. I like that one. Yep. See that? That's one of my favorite questions because I've never gotten the same answer. <laughs> I like that That's one. Great. So, yeah. You know, martial artists, people admire that one. I usually get the same one. So I'll get the same answers from a lot of people, but that one I've never gotten that answer. So that's great. All right. Just a few more to wrap it up. Do you have a favorite martial arts book? Interesting enough, I, I didn't read much martial arts books. I probably watched more visual movies, okay. uh, more Jet Li, Jackie Chan. I think I, I used to watch uh, Kung Fu Kids Breakaway. There was a, a handful of uh, young up-and-coming uh, martial arts kids that I used to watch. And uh, obviously, 36 Chambers, Shaolin, okay. yep. is one of my top movies. Uh, Book-wise, though, I would say it's most likely to. Um, Jita Krishnamurti, Total Freedom. Obviously, I think that's one of the books or one of the f- philosophers that Bruce Lee read as he was developing Jeet Kune Do. Okay. And um, obviously the Bible. Love God. Perfect. <laughs> Love you. Oh, good, good. And now so you're, you're, you're kind of in my age range, so maybe you'll, a lot of my guests haven't had an answer for this one. Favorite martial arts video game? Mm, I'm stuck between, oh, wow. I used to play a lot of Kung Fu nice. before Street Fighter. Okay. But after Street Fighter, obviously Mortal Kombat because I was forced to play it. <laughs> right. Um, and I enjoy Tekken as well. Oh boy, I that's a tough one for me. It is and Karate Champ was fun too because there's that's a Seven Eleven and it had two joysticks. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, so that yeah, I, I don't. I guess I not I don't have one. If if there well if, I, if there was one, I would probably have to bring it back to the old the old Kung Fu one I used to play on, on Nintendo. Okay. I gotta ask you, do you remember the the cheesy 80s i had it on my commodore 64 it was just called bruce lee and it just had horrible graphics <laughs> I'll, I'll send you the youtube link if you don't remember i, found, okay. I actually found yeah, the I youtube link and i'm that. like wow those graphics were horrible so <laughs> okay cool cool all right two two more you kind of already answered one of them but first one sure. f- favorite martial arts tv show but you can't pick w macy masters <laughs> I cannot. Okay. So, uh, favorite martial arts TV show. Oof. Okay. Give me the next question as I'm thinking about that. Next one, one is favorite martial arts movie. You kind of mentioned 36 Chambers of the Shaolin. I don't know if that's your top yeah, one or I would not. Say but... 30, that would probably be one of my top ones. I did like the, I do remember that show. The Remember the, the Masters? I was, was going to ask you about that because you t- talked about wanting to be a ninja when you were a kid. So I was wondering if you if you watched The Master when you were young. I like did you, watch The Master uh, when I was young too. Lee Van Cleef and Timothy Van Patten. <laughs> that that was a cool show. You know, um, I did I did enjoy that show uh, growing up. I think it's you know obviously growing up watching Shokazugi, who is yep. uh, that was definitely a lot of the influences that I watched through his movies. I did like Enter the Dragon has always classic been great obviously or even enter the ninja i remember enter the ninja as well yep the show because we won so i would say probably the ones that i remember is more of the ones that influenced me at a young age shaolin temple was a pretty great movie with jet lee yep i think it was renamed but the original shaolin temple but i think a lot of the stuff that john valera has been doing quite quite recently with john wick and the 87 11 team you know the integration you know, now it's sort of de facto to have martial arts in high-end movies. Right. So I always, I, I always, now it's sort of not, not the brand of martial arts movie. It's more of the um, following the coordinator. Like for example, Hirokoda, you know, doing and Mark Ken and Lozado, yep. they're working on Cobra Kai, right? So I, I, I like to now at this point in my life 
you know, watch the choreographers who I grew up with so I can see how they articulate uh, movements um, in their own contributions in the industry, film industry. I just thought of another question I should maybe start asking my guests. Is there a, a TV show or movie you can think of that you think has had the most realistic martial arts choreography? Mm, that's a great one. Yeah, um, I, I just thought of it. I'm like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> and it doesn't, and for that, it doesn't necessarily have to be a martial arts movie. It could be one that just had a really great choreographed martial arts fight scene. Like, you know, one of the ones I think of is like The Born Identity. Some of those scenes in there were choreographed yeah, very well. I, I, I did like Raid. Raid was pretty, I don't know okay. if you've seen Raid. There was a hallway scene that was pretty intense. Um, that that's a pretty solid fight scene. I think the the gun fights that occur in John Wick are yes. pretty solid. Yes, very solid. And you know, I, I the thing that's interesting when I think of older films, let's say two thousand films like The Matrix or mm -hmm. or, or um, Rumble in the Bronx, it, it's so reminiscent to me watching modern day Hong Kong film, mm -hmm. and, and it's beautiful because it makes me think about the Beijing opera, the Beijing wushu team. And it's choreographed so well that it, you know, those, those fight scenes to me look like in dance. And, and that's what I also respect with uh, that type of, you know, Hong Kong based choreography. Nice. Cool. Well, any last minute uh, parting thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? No, I just, I just appreciate taking the time today. I, I, I want to make sure that everybody continues to you know, train hard to, to, to give to each other. Um, there's, you know, three things that mean most important for each of us here is continue to motivate each other, continue to encourage each other as, as brothers and sisters and stay inspired, stay inspired and read and, and learn from history and, and create new history and um, uh, continue to really just give back and, you know, bear fruit and, and, and continue to produce great talents and break bread with the ones that you love because we only have a limited time here. And, um, you know, and, and continue to meditate and cleanse yourself and, and just continue to give, which is uh, give and, and serve each other. That's I think that's, a, that's a great way to end it. I, I truly appreciate this. It's been a, a complete honor. I looks like I loved uh, watching you compete when I was younger, and I, I'm glad we were able to do this. Absolutely. Thank you for the time. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.